5 this evening, Acts chapter 5. And we're going to start into a new chapter of Acts here as we're working our way through this book. I love the book of Acts. I love the book of Acts because I like action. Amen? Acts is uh, uh, the, the, the whole idea is that there were the Acts, really can be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit is what uh, we're talking about here. And uh, so I uh, enjoy thoroughly as we're working our way through this book. I have tonight a question, and I've been thinking about this question all week long. Uh, it's a bit maybe a haunting question, but I'd like for you to consider it and consider it honestly uh, in your own heart. The thing about uh, considering these things is that you can be honest in your own heart because you know yourself, the Lord knows you, and so there's no use lying inside here. But just uh, think about the question that I have for you tonight. Uh, I wonder how many of us really do what we do for recognition. Now, uh, continuing that, what if by some magic here in the year 2020, everything that you did uh, for the Lord, any kind of service that you did for God, whether it be teaching a child or cooking or cleaning a bathroom or vacuuming or mowing the lawn or pushing snow, whatever you do, any work in the church, no one would know about it just by some magic. No one would see it. No one would find out. Would it change what you do for the Lord? What if, by some magic, uh, that uh, no, not one person this year ever saw you come to church? Again, if you come, we're going to see each other. But just imagine, along with me, you went to church on Sunday, no one would know about it. Uh, it's just you, it's just the Lord. No one would give you any credit for coming to church. Would you still come to church? Would you still do what you do for God? It's a good question, isn't it? How much, do, I think if we're honest with ourselves, and again, let's just do that. There's nobody here but us tonight, so we can be honest amongst ourselves. But if we're honest, there's how much of what we do, do we do for recognition? It is absolutely human nature that we want recognition for what we do. It's just human nature. Dad, did you see me? Mom, are you watching? Remember that as a child? You want to be seen. You want to be noticed. You want so what you do to be noticed by others. Now, in, in and of itself, there's nothing really inherently wrong with that. I think that's just the way God made us. However, the Bible is very clear that we should not be men pleasers or should not serve or do what we do specifically for the praise of men. So how much would your life, your Christian life, how much would your Christian service change if this year, no one would know about it? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I want to look at tonight two folks who did what they did to be seen. They did what they did for credit. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse number 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, we're going to have to, this, this uh, verse here leads us to an assumption that is made very clear in the following verses. It doesn't specifically say it, but it becomes very plain in the context, and so I'll just say it. They said that they're bringing it all, laying it at the apostles' feet. So they brought, they, they sold the property, they kept back part of it, but they said to the church, they said to the apostles, we sold land, and we're giving all of it to God. 
Look what Peter, verse 3, but Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, after hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear fell, uh, came on all them that heard these things. You think? Now think about the scene. Here's a guy. He brings an offering to the front of the church, announces they've sold land, they're giving it all to God. Peter confronts him, and he drops dead in front of the church. He drops dead. Going on. and the, Of course, people are going to be filled with fear. And the young man rose, wound him up, carried him out, and buried him. It was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, Yes or yea, for so much. And Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. And then she dropped dead. Now think about this is some church service, amen? We came for the missions conference and we got skinned alive by Brother Joel Haynes, didn't we? That boy could preach like you wouldn't believe. I'm, I'm grateful that Nobody got mad. <laughs> we heard it. I think that we all saw his heart, didn't we? But man, he got, uh, he didn't mess around. Uh, he really uh, preached passionately. But here is a service where two people drop dead in front of the church. They're dragged out back, buried in the yard. That is some kind of church service. I want to talk to you tonight about leaven in the loaf. Leaven in the loaf. Father, I pray that you'd help us. So look at this story. May we find ourselves in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I was listening to a message this week, and the preacher said something that has kind of stuck with me. Whenever we read the Bible, we should look for two people. We should look for Jesus in every story, amen? Look for the Lord, what he has to say, and we should always look for ourselves because we can find ourselves in this uh, story here tonight. We see first a Satan-inspired deception. Uh, look at verse number one and two at a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira's wife. They sold a possession. They kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it. Now, the butts in the Bible are, all, are like the hinges on a door. When you see a chapter start out with the word but, a certain young man, you have uh, up to now, uh, we've been talking about how the church has been victorious and there's been good things happening. Uh, but the, when you see the word but, you know that there's a decisive change that's about to take place in the account. Uh, so far, the church has been a unified force. They've been defined uh, in spiritual triumph. The people have been united. God's work is being done. But remember, I said a few weeks ago that this cannot last, and it would not last. What you had in the beginning of the early church where everybody was getting along and everybody was working together and no man lacked because all gave and they were all helping each other, encouraging each other and lifting each other up. It can't last because there's people in it. Amen? Now, uh, I hear preachers say this. I hate the saying and I don't say it myself ever uh, because I don't even think it's funny, but pastoring would be great without the people. Uh, Boy, that would be one boring pastoring job, wouldn't it, preacher? 
uh, I tend to love the people. But uh, I, I, the point being that as long as there's people, there's going to be problems. There's going to be problems because you're so imperfect. Amen? And I'm imperfect too. I'm just uh, kidding about that. Nobody needs to say amen there, but we understand the point. We're imperfect. And guess what? People will people. That's what they'll do. And so here you have a church full of people, and up to this point, it has been full steam ahead. The church is doing wonderful. Uh, the, uh, Satan has not been able to conquer it. Can I say, by the way, that if you have a local church that is filled with spirit-filled people, he can't conquer it. He will not be able to overcome it. He can attack, and it won't matter, a hill of beans. So what's he going to do? Well, Satan did hear what Satan always does, whether it be in a family, whether it be in a church body, or dare I say, whether it be in a nation. When he cannot conquer that body, he will try to corrupt that body. Where Satan cannot conquer, he will corrupt. That is still his modus operandi today. If you have any body of people who are joined in the unity of Christ, who are walking in the Spirit, Satan is absolutely powerless to stop that. He can do nothing about it. Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Uh, this is in the context of obedience in Romans 16. The Bible says, And the God of peace shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. In fact, you take any family, you take any nation, you take any uh, church whose God is the Lord, and they will not be destroyed from without. And so what Satan does is he tries to corrupt from within. Satan has always done things that way. Remember the story of Balaam? Balaam was approached, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, he was approached by a, a king called Balak. And Balak wanted Balaam to come and curse God's people so that he could overcome them. And so Balaam, because he offered him a lot of money, Balaam being the carnal preacher that he was and shouldn't have been, asked God, Lord, let me do it. God said no. Balaam goes back to Balak. Sorry, Balak. God said no. Balak said, let me up the ante and starts talking about gold and silver. In fact, Balaam's talking about, and Balaam, hint, hint, even if you gave me a whole room full of gold, I wouldn't do it. Well, he got offered, and then he goes back to God, and he says, God, let me again. And you know the story. Uh, he says, God says, no, Balaam asks again. God says, no, Balaam asks again. A donkey talks. Finally, God says, go ahead. Do what you want to do. Well, what ended up happening was that Balaam uh, ended up blessing Israel three times, much to the chagrin of the king. And now, but what he does next is evil and it's satanic, but it shows the operation of how Satan works. In Numbers 31, 16, behold, these caused the children of Israel though, through the counsel of Balaam to commit trespass against the Lord in the matter of Peor. So here's what happened. Balaam, knowing that God would not allow him to curse the children of Israel, comes to Balak and says, I know that we cannot... Uh, overcome them, or I know I can't curse them, so we're going to choose another method, and I'll tell you how you can destroy God's people. Essentially, he says, if you can't beat them, join them. Bring the women of Moab and intersperse them with God's people. Flash some sin in front of them. Build some casinos. Open up some liquor stores. Start inflect, infecting God's people with all kind of sinful opportunities. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. 
and they destroyed themselves. We see in Numbers 25, 1, and Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. What a tragedy. But what could not happen from the outside happened from the inside. A church always falls from within. By the way, did you know that really you look through history and there's nothing that ever has been successful against a church from the outside? The Bible says that that when Jesus said he's going to build his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Have you ever studied history of persecution in the church? Do you know what happened during the persecution of the church? It thrived. It grew. It multiplied. In fact, persecution, and none of us would want persecution, but persecution was the best thing that ever happened to the church for its growth. There was a mega church began in Jerusalem. They had 5,000 members plus, and they were growing every day. You know what God did to the first mega church? He introduced or he allowed persecution to come into their midst, and they scattered all over. And what did they do? They took the gospel with them, and they started planting churches everywhere. Persecution helped the church. The sad fact is that what he does now is more effective. He fought from without for years. In, past, in the past century, uh, we've, especially here in America, we've, we've enjoyed liberty, unparalleled freedom of religion, and yet we've seen the church grow into a shallow uh, social gathering of ear ticklers. If you look at the church as a general, separation has went by the wayside. Hard preaching has taken a backseat to programs. Persecution has been replaced with popularity. And I ask you tonight, which one has been more effective in destroying the work of God, persecution or popularity? I dare say it's popularity. It weakens it. It uh, dilutes it. If the church falls, it is not from an attack from the outside. Rather, it's an attack. It's uh, us allowing uh, on the inside Satan getting a foothold the insides. We need to be careful in that way. A nation falls from within. Uh, Gibbon's book uh, that he wrote, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he lists five reasons the Roman Empire fell. Let me read these. I didn't read to, to you before, but this is a good reminder because doesn't this describe our nation today? Number one, the rapid increase of broken homes, the undermining of the sanctity of the home. Number two, higher and higher taxes and the spending of public money for free bread for the populace. Number three, the mad craze for pleasure. Sports becoming every year more exciting and brutal. Does it say sports or video games? Yeah, sports, but I think you could insert video games in there. The building of gigantic armaments when the real enemy is within and in the decadence of the people. Number five, the decay of religion. Losing touch with life and becoming impotent to guide the people. Well, I think that pretty much describes America today, doesn't it? A nation's going to fall from the inside not from the outside, a Christian falls from within. Uh, you will fall if you allow Satan to gain a foothold in your life. Matthew 24, 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. It is sin in our life uh, that hurts us and will cause us to fall. Balaam gave advice that effectively brought God's judgment onto Israel. Now the question is, will we allow that to happen in our life? Would to God that we would live the type of life on the inside that would make us insusceptible to attacks from the outside. This is what we see happening in our text. No doubt Ananias and Sapphira 
they wanted some of the glory that was surrounding Barnabas. We see in the last chapter, Barnabas sold some land. He brought the money and gave it, and no doubt, as it happens in churches, uh, he was honored for it, and rightly so. He had no care for personal advancement. He just gave it, and uh, people were excited about it, and they probably gave him a round of applause, and, and they, he, was a, he was an encourager, and uh, he was not out to seek personal benefit, but he no doubt got honor in the church because he did that great work. And so there they are at home disgusted, on the drive home, angry, that Barnabas. All anybody ever talks about is Barnabas. What a glory hound Barnabas is. Now, I don't know to what extent they hated Barnabas, but that's the tendency of human nature. The phenomenon is called the uh, psychological projection. People do it all the time. This is where people suspect and accuse other people of doing the very thing that they do themselves. Uh, people who gossip uh, are constantly convinced that others are talking about them. Those who struggle with bitterness are constantly convinced others are treating them wrongly. Uh, thieves are constantly suspecting other people of stealing. We could go on and on down the list. At any rate, these two, as we'll see, were glory hounds. They wanted to get some of the glory and the prestige that Barnabas was getting. They wanted the limelight. They were tired of Barnabas getting all of the attention. So they had some property, and they sold it. Then at home, they had a little round table meeting, and they decided, well, we don't have to give all of it. Let's just give some of it, and we'll keep some of it by themselves. By the way, they had every right to do that. It was their property. It was their money. They didn't have to give it all to the church. I believe in tithing. We understand where we stand there, but they didn't have to give all. They didn't have to give half of it. They didn't have to give three-quarters of it. It was theirs, and Peter makes that clear in the following verses. But they had a meet. But what they decided was, we're going to say that we give all of it. And that'll make us look better. Boy, people will know then that we're sacrificing. And then we'll get some of that attention that, that Barnabas is getting. So the Bible says they brought a certain part, or Ananias showed up and laid it at the apostles' feet. So far, so good. They could have said, Peter, we sold some property, and here's some of it. It would have been just fine. That had been good. Would have honored the Lord. One thing that is seen throughout Scripture is that God hates pretense. We see it throughout the New Testament. For us to pretend that we are more holy and that we are more spiritual than we really are is an offense to a holy God. He knows. Look, God knows our hearts. Now, I'm not saying we ought to go around and glorify our weaknesses and our sin, but pretentiousness, a, a pretense of look at me or trying to draw attention to me. I'm better than that person or I'm better than you. God hates that. Leviticus 11.44, ye shall be holy for I am holy. And God is holy with absolutely no pretense. Now there's three kinds of believers in a church. There are believers, there are unbelievers, and there are make-believers. Those three types of people are probably uh, in most churches. We hope there's only one kind here, amen. <laughs> but uh, you'll see those type of people in the world today. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus talks about the Pharisees. They were make-believers. They did things for show. He begins by denouncing the practice of 
hypocrites when they pray. He said in Matthew 6, 5, <coughs> And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray, <coughs> standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Jean Girardeau said this, The secret of success is sincerity. Once you can fake that, you've got it made. A <laughs> little bit of a humor there. But uh, sincerity is what God desires of us. God knows our heart. God knows our motive. We just need to be honest with ourselves. These hypocrites, they only prayed for the applause of men. The Pharisees would stand out and they would pray loud and they would pray flowery and they would have big words and learned things that they would say and the people would, wow. Look at how holy they are. Jesus called them hypocrites. They were just doing it for the praise of men. They wanted to be known as pious people. Their praying says that they were more interested in their reputation than they were in their character. Let me ask you tonight. Are you more interested about your reputation or your character? Your reputation is how people see you. Is that important? Absolutely it is. We need to have a good testimony. But your character is what you really are. That's what you will do if nobody knows about it. And these men, hypocrites, are always more concerned about their reputation than their character. It's a shameful motive. The Pharisees loved to be viewed by the populace as holy. They were eager for self-glory. And there's few things more distasteful than religious pride. Pretentiousness and piety is simply pride at work. When we do good deeds and we do them only to see if people are looking only to make sure everybody is watching, then this is uh, nothing but pride in our heart. Pretentiousness, somebody said, is the only disease that makes everyone sick but the one who has it. <laughs> and how true that is. Pretentiousness. But Ananias and Sapphira, this is what they were. They entered a Satan-inspired deception. The love of money became the root of all evil, and they added on to that the love of glory. They wanted to be praised. They wanted to be lifted up in esteem in this church. Now, we see a Satan-inspired deception. Now we'll look at a spirit-inspired detection. Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now imagine what... <laughs> I always try to put myself in that story. Imagine the feeling that shot through Ananias at that time. Uh-oh. He knows. How does he know? But he knows. Why'd you lie to the Holy Spirit? They could lie to Peter, but they couldn't lie to the Holy Spirit. God knew how much this conniving couple had decided to give and how much they still kept. They had no doubt uh, been, uh, this had probably been convicting him all the way to church and somehow God communicated it to Peter. Uh, maybe Peter knew him very well. I don't know. Maybe he discerned it within himself. But he stands there, Ananias does, absolutely speechless, and it's plain to everyone watching that Peter has nailed him with the truth. And then uh, he says, While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it sold, was it not thine own power? This is the tragedy of this story. Ananias was under no obligation to give it all to God in the first place. 
This is not like some of those cults that we hear about today where to be part of the group, you have to sell everything you own and give it over to the cult leader. Uh, this wasn't, Peter never said they had to sell their property. He never said they, they put any kind of a, a demand on them. There was no pressure on him. He was a free agent. He didn't have to sell his property and give it all. By the way, God does not demand our money anyway. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man according to as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly of necessity. God's not making it necessary, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Uh, we do not, if we do not give out of a spirit of generosity, then he doesn't want it. My old pastor that I used to have years ago, he always said if, if, you, uh, uh, if somebody is giving grudgingly or if God has to drag your money out of it, he says keep it because you're going to need it worse than God does. Give it willingly. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now, that's a serious sin. This is why he, this is why he dropped dead. Don't, don't miss this. He didn't drop dead or get punished the way he did because he kept back part of the money. Peter's making that very clear. He said, thou hast lied not unto men, but unto God. Sin is always serious. But you could say that the seriousness of, of it is relative to the one who the sin is against. I'll give an example. Lying is always wrong. But if you, if you lie under oath in court of law, you're going to do jail for it. Uh, betrayal is always wrong. But if you betray a nation in a time of war, you're guilty of treason and could be killed for it. You see, the difference uh, is sin is always sin, but sometimes uh, sin is much worse in that who the sin is against and what Here's uh, Peter saying very clear, you're not lying to me, you lied to God, and this is a very serious thing. The root of Satan's language is the lie, deception. It was with a lie that he convinced Eve to sin against God. The first attack in the church that came from within is right in keeping with this character. Ananias was exposed. His words were barely out of Peter's mouth. That is not... Lied unto God, but unto men. Those are the last words that Ananias heard on this earth. The Bible says he dropped dead where he stood. He never got to spend any of the money that he kept for himself. Think of an example. What kind of example this was for all that were there. Think about the fear that would spread through that church. One of the reasons for public punishments like this is that it's a lesson for all those who see it. Psalm, uh, Proverbs 27, 12, a prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. This was a time that people could see the consequences of lying to God. Imagine the self-examination that followed that. Imagine the altar call at this service. <laughs> and uh, people were shocked by it. They were affected by it. It was a warning. Now, this would have spread like wildfire through the church. But there was one person who did not hear about it. We see her next. Sapphira's false confidence. And it was about the space of three hours when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. First, let me say that men, even in Bible times, husbands had to wait on their wives to get out to church. It's not only in our time. Finally, he gave up. Get an Uber. I'm going to church. And he went. So get the picture. All of this has happened at church. Ananias has been confronted by Peter. He drops dead. Young men came, wrap him up in a sheet, take him out back and bury him. Three hours later, his wife 
waltzes into the door. Uh, there's a buzz that goes throughout the church. Does she know? Has she heard what happened? No one put it on Facebook. No one texted Sapphira. No one has let her know. Now as the men come back to church from burying her husband, here she breezes in. She's been doing uh, out, I guess, doing whatever people do when they come into some money. By that I mean she's been surfing Amazon all morning for three hours. She's been on uh, thinking about what she'll do. I don't know what she's been doing, but three hours have passed. Her husband's dead. She does not know it. Peter has been expecting her to show up at church. He can't be pleased about what he has to do. The name Sapphira means beautiful, and if she lived up to that name, it would even be more unpleasant, but here she comes. She's happy. She's breezing in. I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if the time gap wasn't so that Ananias could get the maximum of praise from everybody, and as it began to die in, die down, she could breeze in and all of a sudden everybody would, it all start up again and it all start praising her. They were glory hounds. They wanted recognition. So here she breezes in. She doesn't suspect anything. Uh, she basks in the thoughts of glory as she sashays by all the folks dis, are, are not realizing the looks that she's getting. Imagine the looks that she's getting. It would be an awkward moment for everybody in there. She has no idea. Her husband's dead buried out back. But here she is, happy. She just made a big donation to the church. The atmosphere is electric as she misreads the looks she's getting. She's no idea what has happened. Then Peter says, hey, Sapphira, why don't you come up front? Oh, here it is. Boy, I'm going to get the glory now. Barnabas, eat your heart out. They've honored my husband. Now they're going to honor me. She comes up gleefully probably yes tell me whether you sold the land for so much yes we did we sold it for that amount we're giving it all to church how did peter ask put myself in his place I, this would be a tragic thing to do he asked her casually she fed him the lie then we see Sapphira's fearful condemnation. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? This is what Jesus told Satan in Matthew 4, 7. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We are not to put God to the test. We are never to put the Holy Spirit in a position in our life where His wisdom and power war with His mercy and grace. But that's what they did. The sad part about it is that Ananias and Sapphira probably never saw it this way. They did not sit at home and hatch a scheme. Hey, let's try to deceive God. No, they just wanted glory. They just wanted praise. They just wanted recognition. They just wanted some of the spotlight. Is there such a crime in just getting some recognition? But Peter exposed their sin as a sin against the Spirit of God, lying to God himself. They tried to lie to Peter in the church. That was bad enough, but they lied to God. Sin is serious business. But the Bible says next, Behold, this is Peter talking. Man, can you imagine hearing these words? The feet of them which have buried thy husband. Buried? She's in shock. She's getting this news very quickly. Buried the husband at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in and found her dead, carrying her forth, buried her by their husband. Sapphira stood there, heard this shocking news, 
collapsed right in front of Peter, fell on the floor dead. Peter says to the men who just came back from digging a hole, sweat, dirty, finally able to get some rest, got another one for you, fellas. Oh, man. Come up, they roll her up, wrap her body, carry her out the door, take her out to the field and begin to dig another shallow grave. There are no ceremonies. There's no prayer. There's no Bible reading. Just roll the body over, pack in the dirt, make a mound above the body. They buried Sapphira right next to Ananias and walked away, hoping no one else would die in church that day. And the story of Ananias is over. That's all you hear about him. But what an impact this must have made in that young church. The church has purged itself of sin. There was leaven in the loaf. The Bible says in Genesis 5, 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Now the young church here has rid itself of the leaven. Unfortunately, it will be back. We'll see many more problems in the early church as we still see problems in the church today because people will people. But for now, the church is clean again. The Holy Spirit has acted in judgment. Now it would act again in blessing. But it had to rid them of the sin. It was a very shocking day. Can you imagine this service? But it was a very effective one. But consider what was behind it all. All they wanted was credit. That's what they wanted. That's why they did what they did. They didn't do it for the work of God to go forward. They did it for credit. That's why they lied, so they could get more glory. And I go back to my initial question. Let's just ask ourselves that question and be honest with ourselves. How much of what we do is for recognition? We like it. I like recognition, don't you? I mean, be honest. We like recognition. I like thank you notes. I like to get recognized for doing a good job. If you do something, you work hard on a project, you like to be able to uh, look back and take uh, some healthy, not, not wrong pride, but some healthy pride in what you've done and, and enjoy a job well done. Nothing wrong with recognition, but that should not be the driving force behind what we do. That was not Barnabas's, uh, that was not the reason he did what he did. He just did it to be a blessing to God's people. And they gave him some glory, and it rooted out the selfish desire in Ananias and Sapphira. Oh, folks, let's not be an Ananias and Sapphira. Let's do what we do for the Lord. Let's do it with pure motives and uh, not for glory alone. Would you still do what you do if you had no recognition? Next week, we're going to begin to look at the effects of what uh, happened after this service. But at this point, I'd like your heads to be bowed, eyes closed, and we'll give an opportunity tonight. Maybe the Lord's.